Welcome to Media Path. I am Louise Palanker. And I'm Fritz Coleman. Today on the show, we've got a group of performers who are paving a rich and scenic media path, lush with music and film and live performances and podcasting. They are the Cowsills, Bob, Paul, and Susan. From the legendary band, they will be joining us today. Plus, Fritz and I have some viewing recommendations for you. So what have you brought to class, Fritz? All right, Weezy, I, I, I know you've watched this, so I can't wait to talk to you about it. This is about The Keepers, which is a multi-part series on Netflix right now. It's a seven-parter, and it was released in 2017, and apparently it's enormously popular, one of the most streamed segments on Netflix. It examines the decades-old murder of Sister Catherine Sesnick and a suspected link to a priest accused of abuse. Now, the overall arc is similar to the one in the film Spotlight. It was an Oscar-nominated film. It took place in Boston with the investigation of the Boston Archdiocese. Well, The Keepers happens in the Baltimore Archdiocese. And like Spotlight, The Keepers details uh, with various aspects of priest abuse, the cover-up, and the stonewalling and foot-dragging by local law enforcement. But I have to say, the Keepers is much more powerful. And I'll tell you why. The story evolves more slowly over seven episodes. That gives you time to bond with this large cast of characters. It allows smaller, more touching human stories to play out. It's, it's a little more melancholy. It goes deeper into the toll that abuse and its cover-up take on a community. Now, in 1969, when Sister Kathy Sesnick, a beloved teacher at Archbishop Keogh High School in Baltimore, was murdered... It was a neighborhood-shattering experience. Slowly, her family and supporters, through dogged investigation, discovered that she may have been murdered to stop her from revealing what she knew about the widespread abuse of many girls at this Catholic high school by its highest-ranking official, Father Joseph Maskell. And since this is not new territory, I'm going to suggest why you should watch this. The driving force of this whole series is that Sister Kathy helped so many girls at their high school point, pivotal moment in their lives, that even though it's 50 years later, a group of her supporters has decided they're not going to rest until they get some answers about her murder. A group of her former devoted students does their own grassroots investigation to find out how she died and by whose hand, and they're still at it. And you realize ways that we, we know that abuse ripples out and affects hundreds of family and friends beyond those that were abused. But in this series, you realize also that the good work and the love shown by one gifted nun, the sister Sesnick, ripples out and affects hundreds of people as well. I thought it was a really, I'm not a huge crime guy. I thought this was a really touching story. How about you? It's touching, it's moving, it's beautiful, and it's another tale of sleuthy ladies trying to solve a crime. And it's a very personal crime for them because this is a person who meant a lot to them, and they just feel like justice must be done in her honor, in her memory. And it's it's a beautiful story. I, I mean, how many people, I, I agree 100% with what you're saying, how many people... Um, uh, ha have an effect on somebody's life where 50 years later, they devote all of their extra time and their 
obsessive determination to find out something that happened to you, it's 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 a it's a profound piece of work, I think. It is the keepers, and it's on Netflix. What do you got? So, uh, have you watched The Father, starring Anthony Hopkins? I haven't his- seen that yet, but it's a bucket list thing for me. Right so now. it's it's Oscar nominated. And it's basically Hannibal Lecter gets old and disoriented and he can't remember who he ate. So (laughs) that's the movie for you. Then dive in. The film depicts the confusion of dementia by unraveling events from the perspective of the afflicted lead character. As the scenes unfold, the circumstances and the faces and the space-time continuum are continually shifting, allowing the viewer to experience the frustration, confusion, and isolation of memory loss. Anthony Hopkins is sensational, and the film has earned six Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Anthony Hopkins, and Best Supporting Actor, Olivia Colman. It's a pay-per-view type of situation on Amazon, so you may want to wait until it's more readily available. And it it does kind of present as a play, so be in the, the right frame of mind, but it's a really interesting piece of acting. Oh my gosh, both of those people, uh, worth it. I can't wait to see it. It's it's one of those things I want to watch. Well, I can't wait to talk to Susan Council about this because this is another woman who found her musical soul uh, ending up in New Orleans. It's the autobiography by Ricky Lee Jones called Last Chance Texaco. And uh, she now makes her residence there. I, I've always been a fan of Ricky Lee Jones, one of the soulful voices and songwriters of the 70s. She had a few mainstream hits, Chucky's in Love, Satellite. She had some great albums, Pirates, Flying Cowboys, The Magazine. I've always been drawn to kind of funky, bluesy female voices, Bonnie Raitt and Janis Joplin and the like. Uh, Ricky Lee's nickname is the Duchess of Coolsville. It's so perfect. <laughs> and, and I always wonder about the mystery of the sound of soul and rhythm and blues among white performers and how that blessing gets bestowed on some people and not so much on others. Well, Ricky has that gift. Her voice to me is like uh, a a Miles Davis trumpet. And, And when you read this book, you see that her voice was built from the ground up. Although her parents loved her, the one thing they didn't give her was stability in her childhood. They were always losing jobs. They were always losing houses. They were always getting thrown out of towns. They zigzagged across the country, making a pattern on a map like the Barrow Gang escape routes. So throughout her life and this book, Ricky's in a constant quest for home, a stable life, and an identity that can't be taken away from her or by a man. There are stories about betting lots of men in the elusive search for love. There's a dark slide into heroin addiction. There are con men, con women. There are stories of never knowing where you're going to sleep that night. There are stories of getting her heart broken in every town. There is the love bomb in her life that is Tom Waits. Great descriptions. Ultimately, there's Ricky finding her sound and her voice. She's an excellent writer. Beyond autobiography, I think she could be a a writer for other things as well. I'll give you an example, and then I'll talk to you about it. Her description of sleeping with Tom Waits for the first time, and the next morning, Waits treating her coldly and expecting her to leave immediately, is that classic female lament Q, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow, uh, that song, 
it's really touching and it describes a common female experience. She also has a great passage describing her first appearance on Saturday Night Live. You're on the edge of your seat. She's an excellent writer and she could do a great job chronicling the late 60s and early 70s, even when it wasn't about her. So it's Ricky Lee Jones' autobiography. I highly recommend it. Wow. That sounds fantastic. Mm -hmm. I will definitely get that. So the last pick I have uh, is a little uh, series called Ginny and Georgia. It's on Netflix. Have you seen any of this, Fritz? Mm -mm. Okay, so here you go. Free-spirited Georgia and her two kids, Ginny and Austin, move north to a picturesque New England town in search of a fresh start. But are they running towards a new life or away from darkness and demons? And can you ever really escape your twisted history or does it eventually unravel? The series is a sort of a hybrid genre, I would call it, thriller slash family slash crazy ass. It's so completely nuts, <laughs> this show. You don't, you don't know what hit you. You don't know what's going on. Wait, in that previous scene where there's some scenes that I was supposed to remember for this next thing, because it's very complicated, there's money, there's, there's crime, there's murder, there's, the, you know, it's just mysterious and there's moral dilemmas. And if that's your thing, go ahead and dive in. The performances are wonderful. It's called Ginny and Georgia. Awesome. Fantastic. Are you ready for our guests, Fritz? Let's get here. I'm, I'm applauding already. All right. Get excited. The Cowsills are an American singing group from Newport, Rhode Island. Their sweet, intricately woven harmonic pop sound topped the charts in the late 60s, featuring six siblings and their mother. The group ultimately inspired the 1970s television show, The Partridge Family. A documentary film called Family Band, The Cowsills reveals the talent and the truth which fueled their trajectory. That film was made by me, and you can find it on Amazon Prime. The Cowsills continue to perform. <laughs> humble, humble plug. The Cowsills continue to perform and record. They've got a bunch of new music about to drop, and the pandemic has inspired their own podcast, which you can find wherever you look for podcasts. So please welcome Paul, Woo! Bob, and Susan yeah. Cowsill. Hey, hey, Fritz. Hey, Louis. Hey, everybody. So happy can to see you Can you all hear again. me? Yeah. Yes. Okay, because I had this mute scene going on when y'all were talking, and that was <laughs> freaking me out, but I'm good now. now you're, you're back, good. You're coming in loud and clear from New Orleans. Yeah. So New Orleans, I'm actually out in Violet at my daughter's house, but oh, thanks okay. for asking. <laughs> so I want to start the conversation by saying that I'm wondering if we could talk for a moment about the peculiar relationship between a documentary filmmaker and her subjects. I can speak about this unique workmate dynamic from the filmmaker perspective as feeling at once intimate and distant in that as subjects of a film, you're subjecting yourselves to an invasive process. And so the inclination is to construct healthy barriers plus terms and conditions, et cetera. How did it feel for you? Did you have to just trust and pray or did you guys organize in terms of like, here's what we're going to do to fortify ourselves against Weezy or like, how did it, how did it feel from your perspective? Well, I'll go first. Do it. Okay, Louise. First of all, Louise Palanker, when she uh, approached us, was an annoying, tenacious, would not go away <laughs> person in my life. And, and, and I say it lovingly, you know, but it's true. And, and because she came in one night and said, hey, we want to do a documentary about your family. Now, this was a, uh, back a, a ways where you would, if you're in the family, we go, well, why? You know, so I'm going like, <laughs> why? And then, well, we just want to know how you got on the Ed Sullivan show. And I remember in my head, I'm going, she wants to know how we got on the Ed Sullivan show. That's the documentary. Mm -hmm. I go, that could be entertaining and very positive. So I kind of thought that was cool. But, you know, Louise, at first I'm going, no, 
No. Then she comes back with other people. Oh, we got the army coming at me now. And then I'm going, I better ask the rest of the family. This girl is not going away. <laughs> so, can, I, can I say in my own defense here, I never heard the word no. I heard a lot of reasons why it would be complicated. He never actually yeah. said. Yeah, you're right. Susan, I, Susan I, you know your brother. I was right? trying to convince He was her. deflecting. I was trying to convince you. Right. The error of your ways. Yes. Like you are wrong to want to do this. He said, listen, I can actually tell you what he said. And I wasn't even there. Okay. You said, I want to do a documentary about your family band. And Bob said, no, you don't. <laughs> or something akin to that. Yeah, it could have gone along those lines. He would say things like- But honestly, like, getting back to your question, you yeah. know, once you start a process like that, if you've never been through it, you don't know what's coming. You don't know how deep it's going to get. You don't know what turns you're going to take and what you're going to find out. So this is an evolution as you do it. So to me, anyway, personally, there was no premeditated fear or like, it was just a matter of why does Louise want to do this? You don't make money on documentaries. Uh, but then as you know, Louise, once we got going, the story was so riveting and so deep, deeper than everyone thought uh, that, oh, this is a documentary. And you start experiencing it. Yeah, there's psych sessions. You know, you sit in a circle and tell everything. And we get that. But by that time, we were four or five years into it, Louise. And you had like just pounded us into submission. I, I, I got to tell you something. I'm, I'm going to be the objective uh, person here who wasn't part of the emotional process. Uh, this is a beautiful piece of work. And not even for musical reasons. And I've said this to Wheezy, this film represented uh, sort of the post-World War II um, euphoria of peace and prosperity and what we expected an American family to look like. And what this movie did was peel back the layers to show you that what you saw in the Ed Sullivan show and the Andy Williams show and in the hit records that were positive and made you smile was nothing like the truth. And it was an honest look at real American families that were not what they represented on the surface. And I don't mean that critically. I mean, as, as a point of being so truthful. And I think we experienced that again with the Jackson family where, oh, look how cute they are. And they're the wonderful family. Well, the truth was not that. And I thought it was so important at what it pointed out. And with all the fame and fortune you had, the heartache and the, uh, and, and the loss, even if you're not interested in Cowsell's music, even if you're not interested in that era of American hits, it is a really interesting look at the 50s, 60s, and 70s and the American family of what it represented, what it was represented like on television and what it was in reality. So I, I just thought it was spectacular. Thank you, Fritz. Thank you very <laughs> Thank much, you. That Fritz. Was Mr. I, Wizard. <laughs> I think a lot of people, you know, now we have some perspective. We have a frame of reference in, in through which we can look back and we can look at, you know, life for you guys before the film and after the film. And like Paul was telling me that like the film didn't provide any therapy that Paul needed. He's the same guy before, same guy after. But Paul has said that he can tell when someone's approaching him whether or not they've seen the movie just by the way they're looking no. at him. Yeah. We have a name for it. I have to tell you, Louise, it's so funny. What is the name, Susan? We call it 
documentary face and we know <laughs> it when people are coming because because we'll be sitting around having a happy conversation and and we'll be at a gig or maybe sitting down to the meet and greet we're all jacked up after the show happy as normal as we are and the next thing you know man we'll look down the line and we'll see people looking at us and they oh, will have man. their heads tilted slightly and a little bit of a head down and a oh, 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 look on their face and Very we'll concerned. go, uh-oh. That's so interesting. Wow. Oh, yeah. You know how many times I've heard the words, you're okay. Are you okay? Are you okay? Oh, and then and then you have to kind of get ready for them because you don't, you know, now they want to be sad with you. That's I think they so want to comfort you. They want to give you a hug. Does nobody see this finger? Yeah, You're but I can't, to just no, speak. I can't see you. Oh, we don't know your codes. I have to put it on gallery view. I, if I oh. saw it, I'd know, Lizzie. I, I just can't see No, I heard you it. talking oh, about not, it on your, on your I'm podcast. I'm silent, yes. But oh, all right. Paul has a point. I, well, I have a point. And the only reason yeah. I raise my fingers, because for whatever reason, I'll have the point, And like 10 seconds later, my mind will think about something else for just a moment. And I, then I'll I call forget that, what I was going to say. I call that pulling a dicky. Okay, can we have a- Get me back. Please have a rapid finger reaction when Paul goes that way. You mean, you mean a dicky no. like the shirt? No, no, no. And to, be, and to be fair, y'all, on the Council podcast, we all see each other, and that's how we know the other guy's going to say something. Yeah. And no, Austin, I'll say, Polly, you have something. You do. And you do. Go, yes. I was wondering why you weren't saying Because I didn't see you, dude. Okay. Anyway, but here's my perspective on, on the uh, – <laughs> what we're talking about documentary here documentary face yeah so i'm working on grim okay and i've been working grim since it's pilot times you know and um and everybody knows who i am but you know this is grim and so everybody's somebody right so and i'm never acting like i'm anybody so you know time's going by i don't really think i you know when you start spreading the news about something sometimes it doesn't happen you know so mm -hmm. like i never really say oh man we got a documentary out because well we made a documentary but it might not come out you know there's always these things so i always kept things quiet even about the band one time i said i said two years before we got it i said to somebody you know i think we might be going on the happy together tour man like an hour later i come on to set it grim and everybody's coming up congratulating me going man you made it happy together. <laughs> Everybody knows the turtles and all that. And I'm going, oh yeah, man, not a week later. I had to go back in and say, hey, you know, it didn't happen. You know, rah, rah. I thought, yeah, rah, rah. But so here it is. So Grimm and now the thing is on Showtime. Okay, now I haven't told a soul on set or anybody in this production company, hey, watch Showtime. There's a movie on, on there. But so it's a Monday. I go over the mountain on Sunday. I get my room and I go to go to where we're filming. I go onto the set and everybody stopped. And every, I mean, we're talking the directors, guys, we're talking shooting shut down and you know how expensive that can be. And I walk in and I'm, you know, dirty head to toe. I'm a greensman, you know, I'm throwing trees all day and I go in there Everybody turned around and like all these guys, all the heads of the gaffers and the grips, they all came and they all had their hands out like big teddy bears, you know, <laughs> they were all coming to hug me at once. And I was going, whoa, 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 guys, I'm OK. I'm, I did a little dance for him, showed him I was a happy guy still. It's, it's just a documentary, everybody relax. So that was really they experience. did. Clearly, they didn't watch it to the end. <laughs> to me, 
if you watch it to the end, you know we're okay. But yeah. you know, people they they, yeah. they they walk away with their bullet points, and you can't exactly can't override well, them. And it's can. also a thing where that's the discovery of the movie. It's exactly the opposite of what you guys represented in public for so many years, and so it's a shock. But it's touching and moving and human, but it is different. It's so different from what they expected. Yes. One of the things Fritz is talking about is back then, you controlled your image. You could do it. Yeah. Today, documentaries that are made about things today aren't going to be that powerful because everything's reality already right now. There, there's no unpeeling of the onion. Yeah. It's unpeeled as we go. Yeah. But from yeah. the days when we were young and having a group, they absolutely controlled our squeaky clean image and everything that was happening in the back of that was not news and not uh, not a problem. And there was even some traumatic stuff that happened that you just kept out of the press. That's what a press agent was for. Not always just to announce something, but to also cover something and and muffle it. And they did that for you guys. For example, the, the scene between Billy and your dad. Uh, which happened in a public location. And, you know, none of that got out. Amazing. Well, that was kind of back in the day where things, you know, we didn't have the kind of media we had. If if we had what we had now, it would have gotten out. I don't think it was really that newsworthy, quite honestly, because our society wasn't really set up, I don't think, like that at that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, we weren't that famous. If Frank Sinatra or somebody, you know what I'm saying? But, yeah, now but, every so, trivial and, person gets all the social media they can handle. Today, it's ridiculous. It's unbelievable. Right. But but you guys, like like, did you guys think that that happened, and then and then MGM or whoever we were with covered that up or helped squelch it, or do you think nobody gave a shit? <laughs> <laughs> no, the, Susan, there was yeah. active, active. Uh, I wouldn't know pursuit of controlling the word. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. See, I don't, I was a kid. I wouldn't know that. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. Susan, every day. S- Susan, while we're yeah. talking about your life. The, yeah. Um, you know, also we got to, we, and you know, we, you know, as even young adults, we all always had this in our mind. We're, we're talking about depression. When we talk about our mother and father, we're talking about depression era people. Okay. And, and the, the whole attitude was, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and that's, was just, everybody was getting smacked, man. You know, it was yeah. just, it was a time. And unfortunately we were little kids inside it. Yes. <laughs> today <laughs> he, our father would be probably oh. jailed for some of the things he did, but, but oh. today he would certainly not be the only father from the sixties in that era oh, that no. that would be true of. They probably have their own little yeah. prison set aside for those dudes. <laughs> Yeah. With yeah, our situation, human resources prison, there'd be bosses in there. There'd be all kinds of people in there. Yeah, I'd hey, listen, our, situation, there. our situation, our situation was was the acuteness of it. Uh, it wasn't, you know, I had a friend Joe Casey. His dad was just as bad. So it, it was how acute, and the fact that we were going to do a, a, be in public, and now we're going to put a veneer on the whole, cover it all with sugar and candy. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> it was yeah. crazy. But we Let were me really ask you good this: at it. Were you guys? Um, you were talented musicians and wonderful performers. I love, you know, your smiles. You were so natural on stage. Were you willing participants in this family band? Oh or, God, did, yes. or, or did you feel like um, that, that part of your, and maybe you wouldn't feel this until you became an adult, that part of your childhood was robbed and a little more normalcy would have been better? Nope. I can answer, I'd like to mention that is, is that exactly it's opposite. 
Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, for me, it's, it's really the opposite. Yeah, no, I don't, I didn't feel anything was, we had such an inside um, playground of normal childhoodness within the system known as the siblings that when, whenever we were not working, we were having our childhood with one another. And, and so maybe the only thing that was different to me that I would notice that was different from any of my other friends is that they didn't play music and drive around, but their parents are always up in their grill and they were always in trouble too. And people were getting smacked around down there and life was not good on there in their house. We all stayed outside for a freaking reason. Mm -hmm. So when we're in it, Fritz, it's not like we're in there like, Oh God, this is, I mean, in private moment, Hell yeah. But that's such a, a microcosm, even as you go through your life. Um, you know, that's what the nature, I think the beauty of life is it provides you the, the overview as a, a majority, if you're lucky. And so for me, it's like, I can look back and we can tell the stories and we know exactly when it went down. And on the in-between, it really, we were having a damn good time and how that balanced out you got me. I mean, you it know, ba- we're it probably- balanced. It balanced perfectly. Here's what's the deal for it's the the kids. Us, we we formed this band. Yeah, we we dragged our there. parents. We dragged our parents into it. We got too good to be denied in the house. So our dad stops a twenty year military career in the navy. He sees that there's value here. We start playing clubs. So and and the one place that we could be together as children where our parents couldn't really infiltrate or really say anything because they didn't know anything was when we were playing music and we were doing shows on stage, all that. To this day, that joy is there. They were the bosses of the music that we grew up with. When we were in the studio, there's no dad. I have a question for Susan. A lot of grown men are now stepping forward to confess that you were their first crush. Were you aware of this at the time? No. Not even slightly. The only way I was ever aware of the boy factor out there in regards to me that I am now incredibly aware of um, is I would like occasionally a boy would make it backstage somehow with a family and then there it would be. And then I was like crushed Zilla. So I would just be like, Oh wow. And now I have a captured bird in a cave, you know? And so I would experience it like that. But I didn't know that out in the audience was the United States of America eight to 11 squad going, (laughs) you know, Oh my God, but here's the thing you guys. And here's what's the thing about my little princessness of it all. I was the only game in town at that time. There was no pop music, public young girl available to have a crush on except me. Think about it. And either were TV, pardon me? It's a great market, good for you. You don't right. have to take so, any credit for the, for being adorable. No, Come no, on. no. But all <laughs> I'm trying to say is I'm a bit of a phenomenon that like, like a good, like, God, I don't even know if we did the poll as percentage of men. I was their, I was So their Susan, you're, what, you're basically admitting that it was by default. There was just no competition. Okay. That's hey, what I'm let, trying let, to say. It's like she was let, the bachelorette. Ask, There's only Susan, one. Susan, and, let me yeah. ask you a follow-up question about Wheezy's question. 
And I, and I th this this question came to me as I was listening to you. First of all, your podcast is fantastic. You guys are up and funny with great uh, <laughs> stories about the rock and roll era. It's really wonderful. And I I loved your story. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. I think he was the lead singer of the Buckinghams. Oh, and yes. You were, and you were talking to him about him sort of taking you, not not taking you under his wing is too strong, but relating to you backstage, uh, you know, between shows and everything. And I thought, you know, we're in a really different time now. Mm -hmm. um, what 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 were the parameters? I mean, did you have people okay. that protected you? Yeah, until he met dad. Like an adult? Here's the thing, Fritz, is I've got a really messed up story about that very specifically. And in my opinion, in my experience, parameters of that was nothing more or less than Paul coming over to me and going, hey, uh, let me, if I'm playing jacks, which I was, and him going, yeah, I'll do a round with you or any other guy, teenage guy, my brother's age approaching me was nothing more than that. Now, the fact that he was so cute, but so are my brothers. I mean, it's like for me, it, it, it wasn't a thing. Now, that being said, this actually happened. And Dennis Tufano, the lead singer of the Buckinghams, told me this when we all became friends later in life. And here's what happened to Dennis. Dennis has an answer for you that is quite disturbing. And that is that my father went. So Dennis and I, I like Dennis. He was really sweet. He would ask me questions, cared, you know, cared I liked horses. He was just an engaging young adult. And uh, evidently on the second show we played with them and my dad seeing me having a pal, he came up to Dennis Stefano and he said to him, in that real unfriendly, lean in in your ear, quiet, pat you on the back when you go kind of way. I don't want to see you around my daughter. Wow. And Dennis, who's like 18, 19, he, yeah. he, said, he goes, and then he's telling the story. He goes, Susan, he said the weirdest thing to me. And it freaked me out. I was a kid. I didn't know what he was talking about. And then I thought, what is this guy talking about? And, and then I wanted to punch him out because I'm Italian. I'm a kid. I want to go, you're just, you know, little did Dennis know, you know, that my dad was that guy. So how ironic that my dad wow. is going to pose as a protector of me from Dennis only because he was projecting because he was, he was just making sure nobody ever asked me too many wow. questions he anyway was, but I, he, I, was, he was legit jealous yeah that was his i just look at it in terms of you know he I just, right, it. it was a control thing yeah i just but, look at it in terms of today i i mean law and and the unions and everything would have you four-walled with uh, your child advocacy protectors and all that kind of no, stuff. No, nothing like that back in Well, it's funny, Fritz, because our dad's philosophy and his belief, uh, he used that four-wall approach because he didn't want his sons dating. He didn't want his sons interacting with females. Wow. He didn't want any of it. Now, his sons were fine with that at the time because his sons were into music, okay? So it's not like we're into music and missing girls, it's not it's not that way. We're totally focused on music. But he was so afraid yeah. that a woman would come along and take this whole operation down with one of yep. us that he just was freaky about that. Wow. And also, Bob, personally, as an adult, 
and an observer on the roundabout. Dad kept us tight, tight, you know, so nobody was saying, hey, can you get me out of here? Yeah. You so, know, we couldn't, you didn't want you getting out too far because we no were life ballsy. No lifeboats we pulling into the dock. Yeah, no. we were pretty, uh, you know, because we were pretty smart alecky. I mean, Paul was fiercely brave, you know, and I bet dad was like, these kids are not afraid enough. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, uh, if, Polly. I could, if I could, you know, because the question was, did we feel like we might have lost the childhood in this? Yeah. Alecky? Well, the thing is, is that if we would, let's take the band element out of it. By the time one of us graduates from high school, one of us younger ones, somebody's going to be dead because it wasn't going to go well for us if this proceeded on the, the track that it was on, right. you know, with the normal, you know, the Navy guy and we're living in naval housing, you know, all that is, you know, who we are, that permeates who we were. And so we didn't lose any childhood. In fact, we got lucky. We got lucky because we had got to get out of there. I don't know what Joe Casey's doing, but he didn't get lucky. I know Tom, you know. It's right. We actually got out in the public side. We got out. And, you know, and I think you ask any of us, we'll forfeiture that dance or we'll forfeiture uh, that graduation. To yeah. not, we would have never made it to graduation. I certainly wouldn't have made it to graduation. Brownies. I wanted to be in brownies. Guy, me and him were going <laughs> to yeah. roll. We were yeah. we would have rolled because I would have been if the band hadn't happened at 19 when he hit me the last time, that would have never gone that far because the, the band made everything okay, man. It was well, great. The band, oh, the band That's gave great. you strength and it gave you purpose and it gave you a sense of identity that was valued in the world. Yeah, you know, and not every place. kid. <laughs> Not every kid has that under the cur under the conditions we were under, which is to Paul's point. If we were home, we would just be getting all that negative and not all that positive, which was confusing at times. But I think we were all smart enough to know that, uh, what do they like to say? 10,000 Elvis fans can't be wrong. We were good kids. <laughs> yeah. Right on, but Susan. You, but you did have a remarkable childhood through yeah. it all. So awesome. I thought we could have some fun talking about maybe your coolest celebrity encounter. Bob's got a great one. <laughs> I'm trying well, to... no, that coolest. Wait, <laughs> no, Bob, um, Bill Medley, right? That's what I'm thinking. Bill Medley. Or you mean Gary Puckett? No, I mean, well, that's a good one too. But just hey, a at the Grammys with Bill Medley, you go by him, you don't. Oh, that him. one, yeah. But that was hardly an encounter. I mean, look, when we were famous, it's not that we weren't aware, okay? But when you're young, you don't carry it around with you all the time. So you think you're not. I know I can see. anywhere near as famous as anybody else. So yeah. I was at the Grammys in 68. We were at the Grammys and Bill Medley was getting a Grammy or going to have a Grammy. Uh, and he was there and we're all tuxedoed up. I'm tuxed up. I belong there. It's 1968. We're on our second million seller, you know, and Bill Medley's coming at me. And, and this is like, it's, you know, he's a monster of a guy. He looked like he was 10 feet tall and mm -hmm. he wasn't, but of course, and he's all tuxedoed up and he's coming at me and I'm getting Ajita as he's getting closer. He's alone. I'm alone. And we just walked by each other. That was my encounter. I didn't talk to him. I didn't stop him. I didn't have the nerve to even look him in the eye. But mm -hmm. I looked at his coat and his sleeve and his arm. And Bob got to tell uh, Bill Medley about the story. Cruise. No, oh, yeah. Oh, no, I love that one. No, and me and Paul, me and Paul were at Lenny's boot parlor. Yeah. And we're talking 69. Okay. Yeah. Lenny's boot probably was a place we all went to get clothes and stuff. And me and Paul were there. It's in Brentwood, California. And we go in and we're just looking at clothes and stuff, but we see Gary Puckett 
But this is Gary Puckett Union Gap. He's on his eighth hit record, you know, and we're on our second. So we measure up. But like I say, you don't think that as a kid. Because you're our not, dad's 18, telling us 17, all the time. <laughs> That we're not working. Because yeah. right. so, yeah, oh, you're being told you're nothing anyway. Right. Hey, so we stare. All we did was stare at Gary Puckett through. We're hiding behind a clothes rack. <laughs> we don't want him to see us. And we want to see him. And we're staring at him doing his transaction. And neither of us go up to him. Neither of us say hi. That's neither hilarious. of us do anything. He leaves the store. And, we, man, and we're just going, that was Gary Puckett. We I wish like, we knew that last week. When right. We did Gary. Well, yeah. even though your one. names were like next to each other on the chart, like, you know, just yeah, kind of like that way. didn't matter. But listen, <laughs> not, I have yeah. one and I had to think about this because it was a question asked to us and I couldn't think of anything specific because I was I just I was I don't know. But I thought of who impressed me and I didn't know why they impressed me so much until about three summers ago. <laughs> but the story goes like this. So we're at the Grammy because we're famous. What year, guys, where we were presenters? 69? 68. It's um, a Bill Medley one. Okay. John, so John Lennon's Rolls Royce okay, was outside so the pacing. It's a big night, you guys. We're at the Grammys. We're going to present. I don't even know that part. I just know I have a green velvet lace dress. <laughs> we are going to see Frankie Valley, And I know that are the two things that's going to happen because that mom kept saying that thing and then there's all these pictures um from the event and sure enough we're with the four seasons and and i remember eating at the table and the butter was unsalted and She's many years old <laughs> but but what i didn't remember was a very big thing that happened that night but here's how it rolled out in my life all my life i felt like glenn campbell was my responsibility okay that glenn and i were so close that perhaps we were separated at birth but he was older but i just felt that i don't know i should take care of him he belonged to me i must know everything he does and every song <laughs> he sang so he dies and I go to pieces on the happy together term. Mark Volman, we were all going out to dinner and I'm crying like a baby. And it's just bad because I have lost a soulmate. Mm -hmm. And I get back to the bus and I go online and I'm looking on Facebook and somebody posts a picture of Polly of the whole family at the Grammys. And Polly is holding me up, of course, traditionally me by my dress, which is now exposing my underpants or my tights. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just the way it happened. But he's holding me and I am reading the winner to Glenn Campbell for his Grammy for by the time I get to Phoenix. Wow. Yep. So I didn't know I was obsessed with this guy, worried, sick, felt like I had to watch out for him. He got Alzheimer's. I better, I was a wreck. And I just always felt really close. <laughs> yeah, there was a connection. And hey, did you ever get word of that to Glenn? I, Susan, did you what? ever get word of that to Glenn Campbell? No, because probably he, was made him a little nervous. he was gone and I would have gone uh, and taken care of him. And I would have, you would I have. didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll so that's tell, my encounter, Paul. I'll let me tell you my Glenn Campbell story. I've already told Weezy, you can you go get a sandwich or something. Oh my. One of the last live shows he did was in <laughs> a place called Sun City in Indio. And I opened for him. And he had already been diagnosed and it was already public. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, 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 I sort of not being really that educated about Alzheimer's and all of its symptoms, I didn't know how this was going to go. We did two shows and his wife was running the band at that time. As a matter of fact, two of his kids were playing in the band and he did 
two shows that were perfect. I mean, there were no forgetting lyrics. There were no forgetting guitar riffs. You know, he was one of the seasoned session guitar players of all time. He was perfect. The only time you would notice that he had issues when he was just having a conversation with you. But all that muscle memory, all the, all the rote that he had accumulated over the years in his music, you would never know. It was two hours of Jimmy Webb hits and it was fantastic. And then, but he was, he got very tired and he took a nap between shows. And if you had a conversation with him, you couldn't expect perfection. But it was a really interesting look at that disease, how, wow. it, it, you know, it affects certain parts of your brain. Absolutely. And not crazy. He managed that. Yeah, he. I saw, not in person ever at the end, but I saw a lot of things he was doing and he was killing it. Yeah. He was. He was the really documentary on him. His obviously. voice was beautiful. It was amazing. Yeah. And, and what did you have, Paul? You had one. Well, yeah, I guess mine would be Chuck Negron. I mean, the oh. crazy oh, thing. Oh, man. So, so three dog night for all the time, you know, and uh, me and my girlfriend were, were writing letters, you know, and uh, and so letters are going, letters are going. And then this song comes out one, you know, and one is the loneliest number. And so at the end of all these letters to Meredith, I would put one is the loneliest number, you know, and mm -hmm. and so then I hear we're going on tour with this guy. OK, through the happy together. And I'm going, God, Chuck Negron. I mean, all of a sudden we're in bed and like he's right beside me. And it's like <laughs> a, a foot and a half between us, really. Oh, my God. That's the, how it goes. And and, you know, and it was funny because, man, I was blown away. I was a little nervous and stuff, but I wanted to tell him this story. And so I, I'm laying this all out to Chuck, you know, and <laughs> just looking at me going, what? He's thinking I'm spoofing him. I, I yeah. you know, think I'm being an, a, a wise cracker or a wise guy, you yeah. know, and uh, it took a couple of weeks and I kept telling him, dude, you think I'm being a punk, but I am telling you that is how much I th thought of you all the time, you know? And uh, yeah. so I'd, that was I'd like to just follow up. I'd just like to follow up, clarify the bed comment Paul just made. <laughs> <laughs> It's, true. it's a birth. It's a birth and a bus. The foot and a half is the hallway between one birth and another. They're not in a king bed. Right. Thank you, Bob. But, but listen, trying to stay apart from each other. There's been <laughs> there were several times because he's a busy sleeper and I'm a busy sleeper. You know. I guess. Yeah. So when we're sleeping, I remember putting my arm out like this. I don't know what I was looking for. I wanted to open the curtain because those curtains can get really weird. And I put my arm out and I touched Chuck. And I, and I looked at my arm and I looked out the curtain. I go, sorry, dude. He goes, hey, no problem. You know, no, he, he's up all night. You know, yeah. if you put your arm out, man, you're touching him. It's crazy. Listen, listen, listen. Some nights when everybody's asleep, like I'm up all night. I really am up all night. And I'll come to bed finally around five or six. And you open up that door and <laughs> there's like four arms hanging out. Like it looks <laughs> like you're in a morgue. <laughs> they're sleeping you know and they're i'm like what in the is this yeah, yeah. let, let me ask you guys a question about where you were in music history you know you had your hits in your peak sort of in the late 60s and, yeah. and that was a time of great rebellion you had the british invasion and the start of psychedelic music and hendrix and all this so did you guys as having to produce hits for a record company feel the pressure of all that when you were recording not really. Yeah, not really. And the reason being, you know, by the time like Susan was eight, I was actually 17. So Susan's seven, Paul's 15. We'd been dropped from two record labels, 
and uh, had put out four releases that tanked. They didn't do well. So we'd gone through two yeses uh, already. And we got a third yes. We got a third yes with MGM. And by that time, uh, after being dropped from two labels, then they thought that was the best time to put our mother in the band. And that, that was like insane. That could be its own documentary. But uh, <laughs> but we, you know, basically, I've lost my train of thought now. See, Paul, that's, uh, that's what... Happens. No pressure, when pressure get, to produce in the midst of all. Oh yeah, there was no pressure because to us it was always, what's next? Oh, Artie Kornfeld's going to produce you. Okay, the rain, the park, and other things. You're going to have an orchestra now. Oh, okay, we're we're kids. We'll we're sponges. We'll we'll do anything. Yeah. Um. Uh. Okay. Now you have a hit, but when the rain, the park, and other things came out in 1967, we were more or less veterans by then in terms of the pursuit. Okay, we weren't veterans, but at that point we're going, okay, another record's coming out. We didn't have any kind of excitement in terms of overly thinking, oh, we just gonna have a hit record, gonna have a hit record. So by that time it had become so routine that it was just the next pursuit. And it was never, back then you could get a yes and fail and get another yes. Mm -hmm. I think that's today, good luck with that. Mm -hmm. We got two more yeses. So that's I so have to give kudos to the third yes because today we'd have been said no to the first time and you may have never heard from us. But back then we got a second and a third opportunity to get this right and to get the team right. Cause it's not just your song, you know, it's everything around it. The team, the people, the company, the, just the timing, the, oh, so much in that equation. And, so. and the other thing is, is that we were kids and, and what this whole deal, all these records and all that business stuff, it was bringing to us, man, we were going to Barbados, <laughs> or, you know, have chicken, on, chicken in a basket on the Absolutely. Ocean. We're going to resorts in we're Missouri, Hawaii, riding speedboats. You know? So we don't care, you know, uh -uh. so long as we keep making these trips, everything's groovy, you know. When you think about your career now, though, and any decisions that are made, you're a part of that decision. So when you does it cause you to look back on your childhood and think, okay, the adults are in one room planning what I'm going to be doing, and I don't hear about it until t someone puts me on a bus and sends me there? Does Was that something that you feel kind of resentful about or that you never had any any say in the relationships well, and the decisions? Well, you, you get used to it. You're so young. There's not resentment. It's, this is just the way it is. Your young brain yeah. is absorbing as this. As long as... Yeah, it's and, it's we were, and also what you're saying, you know, having to just all of a sudden you're leaving. Well, we asked to go. So how it happens, who cares? We're well, going since we were babies. We have been being told what was going to happen. Yeah, it's no, no big we deal. Never had power. No resentment. Yeah. It's OK, but we, uh, we we were kids. We didn't expect to have the power until we it, got it was only power. years, years and years yeah. later. We heard and, and looked into, especially through your documentary, Louise, what was going on in that adult room over there, you know, that we were kept out of. Now, maybe had we been a part of, of it into that yeah, level, into that intimacy, point, yeah, we could have spoken up and the older ones could have said this or that. But believe me, we were under our dad's thumb. We didn't say squat about mm -hmm. it. No, I knew you never you never would have. That was no. not the dynamic. But I don't, was, no, you weren't actively resentful. It just right. wasn't like that. Yeah. Right. No, and but I mean, looking back on it, because your dad was kind of like destroying relationships that you guys had built up with your talent. Right. Oh, sure. That was never fun to hear about. You mean how he fucked up all of our Ed Sullivan's and all that? I mean, yeah. But I don't, I think other people are more resentful actively in general than we are. Honestly, yeah. God, I do. 
Yeah. You know, because it's it's I'm more upset over injustice to other people than I am myself. That's a very healthy attitude. Yeah, it really is. Hey, now, I don't know if you... it's your story, Paul, or Bob's story, but you you were born and raised in Newport and breaking into the famous year of the Newport Folk Festival. Talk about that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, um, it, it was Newport, Rhode Island. And we were Navy brats, you know, I, I, we were still, you know, living that dream. And uh, so the folk festival came every year and we were all very excited about it. They'd have all these workshops all over the streets that we roam yeah. normally, you know, and people sleeping on the, on like Memorial Boulevard that used to blow our minds. We used to go like looking at Christmas lights just to look at all the people camping out. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was so great. It was a great time and it was so free and the music. And so the, the folk festival was in town and, you know, we were local. So, you know, they, the, the, the fence that they had protecting the people that didn't pay from getting in were those little ocean slatted fences, yeah. just dunes. So mm -hmm. we would just go up, step on that fence. You would hold it down and the whole neighborhood would come on in. <laughs> and so me and Bob were yep. sitting there when, uh, when Dylan, um, went to electric, you know, I mean, I was much younger than Bob, I was a couple of years younger. And I was just thinking, man, we snuck in here. That was awesome. And you know, all this stuff's happening. And what are they booing? What are they booing? <laughs> Why are they booing? Cause I, I must've missed something and I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know he, Hey, we didn't know why anyone was booing to us. We're, we're, we think Dylan electric is, is fine, but look, we're, we're just young kids. Yeah, we, we don't know why they're booing. We're not purists. He's yeah. not true to his folk music roots. What are you talking about? I don't even know what that means at that age. That's right. hilarious. Right. Was that so the when, year with uh, with uh, Hendrix and and uh, that that was like the big year, right? Was that the it same? It was a big year, but Hendrix that. wasn't there. But that's no, when the folk music four, festival five. It, it it evolved into where we're now. We're going to see the Love and Spoonful. We're going to see you know. It, oh right. It, it ended up being other acts. And the band's going to be the band because they were the band that night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, you know, it it's cool. just like Jazz Fest in New Orleans. You know, there's jazz yep. for sure. Anywhere you want to find Sounds it. Like but it. guess what else yeah. there is? <laughs> yeah. There's Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen. on the main stage. Yeah. They're, they're booing for him too. Bruce, Bruce. <laughs> Does anyone have a uh, coolest um, or most interesting fan encounter story? Well, it doesn't include me except as as somebody trying to relieve the tension. But we were doing these milk commercials back in the day. And so all of a sudden we had to do a milk commercial show. You know, we had to do a show in their place. And then if we had a show close. And so I don't know. Did we go in a helicopter? I don't know. Something happened. But John got somebody got John's tie. Mm -hmm. and was strangling him you know the girls were just reaching and reaching and man they caught it and i seeing that and i'm just smacking people man <laughs> okay i have free. another one just so that was i have one that counter. matches that yeah we're at the half shell paul where is that place you were just boston. talking about it boston okay okay and there's like thirty thousand, twenty-five. i don't know cuckoo amount of people Many. and and we are trying to get to our station wagons. Is that right, Paul? Yeah. Okay. And all I know is that we are, we're being escorted, but the girls are breaking in and Barry and John 
are, I'm in front of John and then John and Barry, and then I see mom. And then these girls start getting Barry's hair and John's hair. And I see mom come unglued, drops her purse and starts beating the crap out of these (laughs) girls. And the cops are like, whoa, whoa. Like while we're getting there and she's smacking them, smacking them and pushing the guys in the car because these chips were literally trying to what so yeah yeah there's just some sort of insanity that comes over people where you just love something so much you're willing to murder it in your own hands (laughs) look at me and going all out with bill medley i mean yeah i get it so are they uh, are they are they booking you guys uh in a post-pandemic personal perfect world now where the happy together tour is going to go back out and do dates or anything like that um I believe that there's there's always hope um, of later in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe there's still some on hold. We're in a constant holding pattern. Yeah. yeah. So they, uh, all the go ahead, Polly. Oh, I was going to say they canceled June, and then they canceled July because two West Coast shows dropped out. And usually our July is a is a, is a short. It's a couple of weeks, and it's all West Coast. So if a couple of shows drop out fiscally, it's just not reasonable for them to make that journey. You, you with lose the can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we know that July, as far as the normal July, is is out. And then we heard Bob. I don't know if you heard it, but July end of July, we're going to open the Happy Together tour at the Ryman. Oh, that's yeah. huge! I so, mean, that's today's plan can be tomorrow's cancellation. As we correct, absolutely. and correct. all they're doing is absolutely. they're just basically moving down the COVID timeline as is dictated to us it's a venue driven issue because the venue needs to be comfortable believe me everybody on the tour the groups and the band and the musicians we're ready to go okay. everybody yeah. everybody the, needs to get a vaccination yeah we're we already to return to the vaccinated state. up yep. yeah because you guys are all going to be on a bus together and there's just yep. everyone wants to feel yeah. safe everybody has to if everybody wants to go back to life man yeah <laughs> Well, so before talk- we go, I want to plug your podcast. Yeah, uh, it's oh, relatively sweet, new. Prince. No, but it's it's all the energy that you brought to us today, and, and the key that I, I think you said this, Susan. Uh, we're not. We're not. There's no bitterness. There's no anxiety from our earlier experiences. We empathize with people who have real problems. And that's the sense you get when you listen to this podcast. It's fantastic. You got oh, great you're killing anecdotes. Me. You're make me cry. No, you got great no, anecdotes. I, I love the old show business road anecdotes and people you interact with and other bands that are famous. Aww. And that's my era. You guys so, are like your own like sibling rat pack. And <laughs> just super fun. <laughs> And talk about talk about the learning curve of getting baby boomers up to speed to podcast via Zoom. I can Listen, tell you right now that these these two guys. Were I thought a podcast. <laughs> I, I thought we were doing a blog for like two weeks. I didn't even know the difference. <laughs> I thought. And so. Bob is our leader, you guys. Bob is Professor Bob. He was always the studious one, and and, and Paul is also very good at these things. But I personally. I know nothing. And, 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 and Bob would like, you know, he'd say, okay, now look down there at that screen. Now go push that. Now go up there, go over there. I would not know anything about this. And Russ, you know, Russ, he has to be home half the time. I've gotten it now where I can do it myself. I feel pretty good about it. But that's way but later. It was rough. Early in the timeline, it's, it's the, Paul, I can see you, but I can't hear you. Or <laughs> I can't Susan. see you. He wants to hold something or, up. 
Yeah. It took two weeks for us, the three of us, to finally zoom in at the same time and get exactly. there. I mean, it just was so <laughs> overly, and it probably wasn't complex, but you know, it's just a new technology. It's a new and world. Look, look how I, I, I had to go here. ask, what's a podcast? Yeah. What's about? And they said, the best answer I got was, it's today's radio. I said, yeah. fine, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. I'm ready to go. We love it, though. We have yeah, so much good. fun doing it. No, you it. can tell. That's the whole point. It's you really Such do. Such a blast. You will smile, and you'll you'll meet some interesting people from early rock and roll. Sweet. We, this was we fun. Wanna, we want to go uh, video, you know, because every time we do our show, we know it's only yeah. audio. I dress up with my ties. We all do. Yeah, we have, we have our green screens going. So in case they can be seen at another date, I don't know how it works, but we're trying you to put it on YouTube. It just takes one person to hit record on your Zoom call, and then you've got a recording of it, and you just upload that to to you YouTube. You guys, I wonder Louise, if we're allowed to Louise, do that. Is that we, legal? We do, we yeah. do video Zoom recordings of every podcast. Every we one have of them. them. Yep. So they, always, they are hilarious. Yep. They all no, exist. You, you just need with 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 a Gmail account. You have YouTube a YouTube channel, and you just now that you've gotten over this. Learning, learning. Uh, I was just going to say, you just bumped up the curve, little sister. Right. It's like you have to have a layer of knowledge upon which to uh, build other layers of yeah. knowledge. So you're at this point, you're four or five podcasts in. You're ready to now take those videos that you've did that you've done and recorded on Zoom and get. And I can help you get a get a a YouTube channel. Just call it the Cows Hills and start uploading your, your conversation. And as Wheezy will tell you from hard personal experience. If you're going to load any of your songs up or anybody's songs, you need to be prepared for YouTube to flag them and take them down. Yeah, we've been told. We've had, we've experienced that already. Yeah. Um, you know, you when know, it's our song, it's no problem. Right. Yeah. But other people's songs, we can only play so many seconds before it becomes that, you know. Yeah. Right. Right. So sometimes they put it up with a, like a widget that takes you to iTunes to, or Apple Music to buy that song. And sometimes they just mute the song. It's always different for it's different for whoever owns the copyright. It's, a, it's so it's a, it's a gamble. That's why podcasting is safer. They're not kind of scouring for those algorithms or to find you know, those yeah. song patterns that they immediately yank it down. But now YouTube, when you're uploading, there, there's a new step in the upload process. And when it gets to step three, it's actually checking to make sure there isn't any content in there that you don't have the right to post. So they're ma YouTube's making so it So sing your songs. They can't do anything about that. Yeah. What's that, Fritz? Sing the songs live. They can't do it. Oh, that's either. true. Right, right. True. We anyway, need to get there. Well, love you guys. You did a great well, job. We love you guys. Thanks for being patient. I have a Sorry. What the final thought is you guys have new music coming out. Oh, Polly. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm probably, uh, this is just my final thought. I'm probably going to cry when we finally get to sing on stage for the first I'm probably time. Gonna, since yeah. we haven't, you know, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry with you. Need. I think Susan, the whole audience is, is going to be Susan, crying. you're doing If it's the rain, the park, and other things, I'm not going to have time to cry. I'll be singing on, while you I guys ball your eyes What'd out. What'd you say, Fritz? <laughs> Susan, you're doing gigs in New Orleans, though, like uh, cabaret gigs. Very so. random. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I am. I'm doing one in a week or so. But, you know, yeah, I do what I, I'm doing what I can here. We're starting to get back up and running here for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and right. all really nicely safe and stuff, because I, I couldn't do it. I'd be a wreck. But, yeah, mm. you know. And I would like to say from the councils, congratulations on MediaPath that you, your podcast is awesome. We love your podcast. Oh, I, I, oh yes. I love those conversations. Yes. I think podcast, podcasting is awesome. It's, yeah, it's a new it's frontier awesome. and we're pioneers. So, hey. Bob, where, where and when can people find New Cow Sills music? 
Bobby? Well, we've recorded Rhythm of the World, which is 11 new songs and nine acapella songs. We've redone our hits, acapella, oh, and nice. all that business. And then it's going to be about seven to 10 bonus tracks from our past, because we have another opportunity to put some of these songs in front of people. So it's a big project. We're done recording, mastering, and mixing it. Now we have to face um, the artwork and what is it going to look like packaging it. We have to uh, cater to about eight to 900 pledge music. Pledge music people who, uh, you know, we got 872 signed CDs to get out. Yep. I'm thinking autumn at the earliest. I'm saying autumn at the earliest, just being a realist. Autumn, probably, for Rhythm of the World. Rhythm of the World. It's coming. But we're doing a lot. We'll be on tour and doing the podcast, and you can find us. We'll keep everyone posted. And the Cowsills have a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash the Cowsills. You can... Follow them there, and we they do. have yeah. their podcast, and they have a website, cowsill.com. So there's all kinds of places that you can stay in touch. Cowsills want to hear from you, and we want to thank them for being with us. I'm Thanks, gonna read, you guys. I'm going to read our closing credits. It's a pretty exciting portion of the show. Thanks, we- Fritz and yeah, So thank- happy to yeah, see you guys Yeah, thanks, Fritz and Louise, and thanks for your patience all. You're all looking old, great. You know. Thanks, we Dina. Would- thanks, Alex. Yeah, we would Dina, love Alex, you- we love you. We love you, too. Okay, here come the closing credits. We would love for you to join us online on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at MediapathPod, and on Facebook, where we are MediapathPodcast. You can find full episodes with all kinds of bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, MediapathPodcast. We would love to know what media you've been enjoying. You can contact us at our social media or email us at MediapathPodcast at gmail.com. I want to thank our guests, the Cowshills, Bob, Susan, and Paul Cowshill. Our thank team you. includes Dean. Oh, thank you. Our team includes Dina Friedman, Francesca Demanda, Alex Gilroy, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Filippiak, Thomas Hubble, and you. Our theme music is by me and John Maddox. I am Louise Palanker here with Fritz Coleman, and we will see you along the media path.